I've listened to Redheaded Stranger by Willie Nelson for three years. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Spin It, the record-ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James. That's Connor. It's 2023. What a time to be alive. Whoa. We're in the future. I mean, that's true about every episode we put out. It comes out in the future compared to when we record it. Yeah, but it doesn't feel that way. The year date is always the same normally, so I don't feel like we're in the future. But Fair point. We're in 2022, and this is a 2023 episode. That's is. future right there. Yeah, it is. And we're talking about a year that was well before either of those years. Yeah, 2019. No, no, 1975. Whoa! Yeah, I know. And it's been a minute. Wait, I thought we already did an episode on 1975. Oh, no, <laughs> That's the 1975. They're a different band. Yeah. Oh, They're still making music in 2022. And that's who we're doing today? No, no. Willie Nelson is who we're doing today. And he's also still making music in 2022. You know who didn't make any music in 2022? You? Yeah. Connor Hippin and Hobbin album still coming. (laughs) I'm certain when. Keep an eye out. No hard ETA yet. Wow, not even an estimate. Okay. So we're talking about Willie Nelson. 1975, he released Redheaded Stranger, one of his most well-known and renowned albums. That's our focus. Yeah, not his most renowned, but you know, somebody didn't want to do that one, even though I set it up for the spin cycle. No, that's true. This one, I honestly think, is better. Well, did this one spend over 10 years on the top country charts? No. Then it's not better. Yes, it is. But (laughs) we'll get into that in a minute. So you obviously have some history with Willie Nelson. Yeah. What do you know? Everything. Well, then Factor Spin is going to be difficult. Why? I don't play Factor Spin. Well, touche. <laughs> you listen to a lot of Willie Nelson is my point. Not a lot, maybe, but some. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I no, I, a decent amount. I have too. Especially growing up. He's one of my favorites of the uh, outlaw country, and honestly, just country music in general. I just like him a lot. And I knew when you brought up Stardust in the Michael Buble episode that you were going to be upset, because I was always going to take Redheaded Stranger as our Willie Nelson album from the get-go. Okay, but, but Stardust spent 540 weeks on the Billboard 200. That's over 10 years. I mean, come on. Yeah, but I think Redheaded Stranger's where it's at. This is a good album. I'll give you that. Exactly. But for those who aren't as familiar with Willie Nelson, why don't you go ahead and tell us about him? Good plan. I like that plan. Willie Nelson, just like our last artist, Nina Simone, was born in 1933. She's actually just about two months older than him. Cute. Cute, right? I know. What if they were friends as babies? They weren't. But what if they were? Think about that. That would have been cool. <laughs> they were from totally different places. Can you can you make a Photoshop of two babies next to one another? But put Willie Nelson and Nina Simone's face on them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, they definitely were born very far apart. Willie Nelson was born in Texas, but he was raised largely by his grandparents in Arkansas. His grandma and his grandpa bought him his first guitar in 1939, and he started singing in his local church choir with his sister Bobby. By age seven, he was already writing songs, and soon he joined a local polka band, if you can believe it. Oh, mm-hmm. just like Weird Al. I guess you're right. This is the perfect stretch of episodes to talk about (laughs) Willie Nelson. But yeah, a polka band. He had a lot of weird jobs. Yeah, he did. He got around. Sold Bibles. Yeah. 
other things. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we'll get into some of his shenanigans, yes, but he was a, a true drifter. He was never in one place for too terribly long, and he was never doing one thing for too long, except music, which he obviously has done for a very long time. But his childhood musical inspirations include a couple of artists we've already mentioned, uh, like Lefty Frizzell, Ernest Tubb, Frank Sinatra, Bob Wills, and of course, very notably, Hank Williams, Sr., that is, uh, from episode 12. Not Junior or Junior Junior. Or the third. Or or the third. Wait, that's Junior Junior. I think it is. Okay, the fourth. Which one's just a cousin, but adopted the name Hank Jr., even though that wasn't his name? I think that's the fourth. Maybe. It's a mess. Willie Nelson started in his teen years making money by gigging around honky-tonks and dance halls And in high school, he learned how to farm and raise pigs as a member of the Future Farmers of America, which, if you know anything about Willie Nelson, you'll probably know that that knowledge turned out to be pretty important to him later on in his life. He also, like you said, took on a lot of odd jobs in high school. He joined the Air Force in 1950, kind of in the same wheelhouse as Johnny Cash. (laughs) actually yeah it's more likely that he hung out with cash than nina simone but as babies as as air force babies oh now i'm just imagining cute little babies in air force uniforms but with johnny cash and Willie nelson's face i need you to make that one as well while you're at it it's gonna be a lot harder (laughs) he was only there for nine months he had some medical issues that led to his discharge but in 1956 he and his wife martha matthews moved to pleasanton texas and he got a job as a dj a disc jockey sorry at a radio station some of his earliest recordings he made using that equipment and he sent demos around to a bunch of different labels naturally they were all rejected the next five years of his life kind of followed that same pattern relocate do some odd jobs record get rejected repeat for a couple of cycles he even hitchhiked his way from san diego all the way to oregon which is a really long way to hitchhike (laughs) have you ever hitchhiked anywhere uh yeah where can't disclose that information oh top secret hitchhiker yeah i see This is going to be really off topic and not make the episode, but what happened to Grimace? Grimace? Yeah. I thought he got bought. Yeah, but like what happened after that? Like he got bought, but nothing ever came of it. I just saw a picture of him. What do you, how, why or why? Stop it. Okay. Anyway, continue. Anyway, by 1960, Willie was living in Nashville, Tennessee, and he was spending a lot of time hanging around downtown and the Grand Ole Opry, which you'll remember is the barn dance show that helped popularize country in mainstream media. It had been running since the 1920s. It was like the show to be on, Opry Tangent. Nice little Opry Tangent there. Yeah. But Willie was hanging out in a local honky-tonk, Tootsie's, which you and I actually went to. You might remember it. Yeah. Yeah, we had lunch there. They have a great grilled chicken sandwich. There you go. Maybe he was eating one of those. (laughs) But while he's hanging out in Tootsie's, he starts to encounter people like Hank Cochran, a songwriter who connected him with all kinds of music publishers and others. Uh, People started to cover all of his songs like Hello Walls and very significantly Crazy, which was covered by Patsy Cline and became a massively important staple in the country music canon. It was one of the biggest jukebox songs of all time. Crazy! That's the one. It's a little better than that, but yes. In 1961, he finally got a deal, signed with Liberty Records, and he put out a lot more singles. Uh, You'll recall, this is kind of before the album era of music was in full swing. The industry was really just starting to pivot that way in the early 60s, so he's still doing a lot of radio singles and stuff. He would go on to work with Chet Atkins, he would join the Opry himself, and he befriended fellow outlaw country icon Waylon Jennings. For the most part, though, the 60s were kind of a period of limited success for 
Willie Nelson. In 1970, his Tennessee ranch burnt down and sent him moving back to Texas. He found himself in Austin, home of the now iconic and also now extinct Armadillo World Headquarters, which housed the city's hippie scene. Massively important venue in country music and country western history. It gave birth to this interesting blend of country, jazz, and blues music that people came to know as the Austin Sound, Redneck Rock, and Cosmic Cowboy music. I think we actually mentioned the Armadillo World Headquarters on our Stevie Ray Vaughan episode, too, because he played there. Really? Yeah. Along with Ray Charles, Frank Zappa, ZZ Top, Springsteen, and more. Lots of people made their way to Armadillo. Willie's success and his newfound confidence that he gained as he was able to make the sound for himself at the Armadillo really inspired him to come back into recording. So he put out a record called Shotgun Willie in 1973, followed shortly by Phases and Stages, which is a concept record about divorce. And then we get to 1975, today's subject, his 18th studio album, Redheaded Stranger, and it's another concept concept album you know how i love those i know you do and i hope you love this one you're getting better about them never there's never been a single concept album i didn't like and there's no audio history to say otherwise dark side of the moon was a rough one but you've been better about some of the other concept albums i think i rated dark side of the moon very accurately you you say that every time and every time i disagree yeah so at this point willie's just moved to columbia records and they gave him complete creative control over his music unlimited power yeah he did they said here's some money go make an album so he took this money and he made the cheapest record he could make the production (laughs) is pretty much willie's guitar a little piano some drums it's really pretty bare bones throughout so much so that when he presents this record to columbia executives they said great let's record it for real like they thought it was a demo they said we we sent you out to do an album And he went, I did. They said, no, this isn't it. And since he had complete creative control, they really couldn't argue. And that was Redheaded Stranger. You know, looking back after all the record success, Columbia Record executives would eventually say, there were a thousand reasons that that record should not be a hit. But it took on Willie's personality and became a hit for all the right reasons. Because it was Willie Nelson. It was Willie's statement. We don't think it should be a hit, but apparently it is. That's really how it happened. (laughs) Yeah. They were like, this sucks. And the fans were like, no, it doesn't. And they were like, oh, no, it doesn't. Well, if you're going to buy it. (laughs) So a little bit about Redheaded Stranger, some background info. The concept of the record, you know, it's about love and murder and fugitives. We'll dive into it a little more. But it was a massive success. He based the idea for the album off of Arthur Guitar Boogie Smith's song called Tale of the Redheaded Stranger. And he basically sat down and came up with this story pretty spontaneously. He threw in a few other cover songs that he wanted to incorporate into the mix and tell the story with. His wife at the time, Connie Kepke, kept track of all of his thoughts and his lyrics as he made them up on the spot so that he could record them later. And here's a fun fact for all you recording technology nerds out there. I'm sure there's some of you. Redheaded Stranger was recorded on the very first 24-track console in the entire state of Texas. And that's really funny because it uses so few tracks. It kind of feels overboard. Very first one. Mm-hmm. To date, Redheaded Stranger has gone multi-platinum and almost single-handedly 
it elevated Willie Nelson to country music superstardom. Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain was Nelson's first number one hit song, and the whole album has really stood the test of time behind it. Rolling Stone ranked it at number 183 on its 500 Greatest of All Time list. It made it into the National Recording Registry in 2010. Country Music Television, CMT, named it the best album in country music. And in 1986, Nelson even got to star in a film based on this record. He played the redheaded stranger himself, which is a nickname that Willie still bears to this day. Yeah. Even though his hair is pretty gray now. But uh, as I'm sure you know, Willie's ongoing career, again, he's like in his 90s, but his career, he's still putting out music. It's got a lot more bullet points and interesting stories. So I'm going to hit you with the, the quick facts. Fast fire facts with Spinnet. That's right. In 1977, he had a really close brush with the DEA and the IRS, which was pretty significant. (laughs) Yeah, he had multiple of those. (laughs) That's just the first. In the 80s, he put out an instant classic hit, one of my favorite songs of all time, period, Poncho and Lefty with Merle Haggard, which is now in the Grammy Hall of Fame. He put out two collaborative records with Waylon Jennings, and you might remember from our Johnny Cash episode, episode 43, that he joined Cash, Jennings, and Chris Christopherson in the supergroup The Highwaymen. Yeah. In 1990, he had another run-in with the IRS. This time, he owed them $16.7 million. He had to sell almost every single thing he had, and he put out a tongue-in-cheek record called The IRS Tapes, Who Will Buy My Memories. Yeah, and literally, like, he basically sold or had everything taken except for his, like, most famous guitar that he hid with his manager. Yes, that is true. Trigger, his old guitar. Yeah. Which is really cool. It's named after Roy Rogers' horse. He bought the guitar in 1969, and actually, it's super special to him because he's got a hundred names scratched into the wood of it. All of his friends, people that he's encountered in the music business you know uh, superstars it's a really special guitar and he's actually played it so much there's a huge hole worn in it where the pick would hit the body as he played so it's an an incredible guitar and i encourage you to look it up but yes the fans when the irs came after him for 16 million dollars they bought all of the things that he had to sell and then donated them back to him. And he did eventually square up with the IRS. They broke even. Just by 1993, in fact, within three years. Throughout the 90s and 2000s, he did a lot of work expanding his collaborations and his philanthropy. He worked with UNICEF, We Are the World, and more. Not to mention, he helped found Farm Aid to assist farmers. And as you may have guessed, and probably already knew, he's a very vocal advocate for marijuana legalization in all forms. In 2020, he did a few live streams and raised more than $700,000 for people and families who were struggling financially during COVID. And he continues to tour and perform and release new music to this day. I actually just saw him on tour last year for the first time. I really was excited because I had tickets that got COVID canceled. So I was glad I got to make it back and see him again. That's awesome. It really was. And you know, he's 90 something. So it's like you kind of just go to say that you've seen him, you know? But it was it was really something. He's an icon. And he's actually an icon for a lot of reasons. To date, he's put out 98 studio albums, which I think that's more than anybody we've talked about so far on this podcast. I think that, does he get the Spin It Award for that then? Mm, I have to go back and spot check the Johnny Cash episode just to make sure, because I know he put out a lot as well. But I think it goes to Willie. Can we give him the tentative most albums yeah i think so 72 of those albums were solo records and 26 were collaborations he's also put out 14 live albums he's had more than 51 compilation albums come out over his career there's a ton of willie nelson out there 
He tours with The Family, which is a band made up of actual family members. Noise. Yeah, he tours with his own family. Accolades, you know, he's had a long career, long list of awards to go with it. The Country Music Association has even named their prestigious Lifetime Achievement Award after him. So, I mean, he's it, you know? Yeah. He has a dozen Grammy Awards spanning from 1975 to as recently as 2020. And he's earned 11 CMA Awards, 8 American Music Awards, the Library of Congress's Gershwin Prize. By the way, he's the third winner of this to get a full episode. I don't think we mentioned it the first two times. Really? Yeah, but he's our third Gershwin Prize winner. Who's the other two? There haven't been very many that have won it, but others that we've done episodes on include Billy Joel, who won it in 2014, and Stevie Wonder, who won it in 2009. Huh, there you go. Yeah, who knew? Now you do. I sure do. Yeah. Willie's also got six Academy of Country Music Awards, and Rolling Stone named him the 88th greatest singer of all time in 2008. That's a lot of information. Suffice it to say, Willie Nelson's a, an incredible guy with a wild and storied career. I mean, it's already impacted country music in such a huge way. I feel like, I don't know, it's just been significant all around. Yeah. Well, are you ready to get out of here? And let me take a stab at some facts and spins. Sure are. By get out of here, I mean just sit here silently while the mixtaper goes, because I'm always here as much as you try to claim my leave. That's right. Fair <laughs> point. Hey, it's me, the mixtaper. Hello, happy 2023. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you? Super optimistic for technically year three of the podcast. Oh, but more importantly, this is season six. A Factor Spin. Season 6 of Factor Spin starts this episode. This is a blank slate. Will we be in a deadlock tie for 20 episodes in a row like last season? We're about to find out. <laughs> it all starts right here, right now. Let's go. We're going back to a very classic formula of facts. The classic uh, four ramp. Okay. Here lately, I've been mixing it up. We haven't really been ramping as much. Nina Simone started with the ramp, but we kind of de-escalated from the monkey fleet. Yeah, the monkey fleet was a big hit. The shot was also wild. <laughs> Nina Simone was a roller coaster, suffice to say. Yeah, this one's just a standard ramp. Okay, I can get behind it. To start off our ramp, he ran into a burning building. Are you talking about the time his pig farm caught on fire? Sure, I think so. <laughs> Okay. Started to say sure am, but then I was like, I better double check. It sounds like you think not. This is his place in Nashville? Uh-huh. Yes. It caught on fire. He ran inside. Yeah. I believe he ran inside to save some weed, right? Oh, man, you know this one. I I think I've heard oh, it. It's a pretty man. popular Willie Nelson urban legend. Oh, man, not an urban legend. It's true. Well, that's what you want me to think. Yeah, but it's also true, and I would say fact right now before you have time to lie about it. Dang it, yeah, it's true. Not off to a great start for season six. (laughs) Well, welcome to my world. So yeah, he ran into his burning homestead to save some of his weed. Was it a particular kind? Like a, I don't know. It sure was. What kind? Not that I could tell the difference. What made it special? It was a pound of Colombian grass. Sounds hard to come by. Uh, and it wasn't because he really wanted it. It was just so the firemen wouldn't find it and turn him over to turn him over to the police. <laughs> oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. And 100 tapes of yet-to-be-recorded songs burned up in the fire. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> but that's Willie Nelson for you. Yep. All right. Well, good thing that was just the beginning of our ramp. <laughs> yeah, we started at the bottom. Up next... He wrote his famous song, On the Road Again, on a barf bag. Oh, on a barf bag. Okay. 
This sounds familiar as well. He wrote On the Road again. He must not have been on the road at the time. Sounds like, I mean, did he have a barf bag on the road? Because when I think of barf bags, I think like airplanes. Yeah, he was on an airplane. Yeah, so he was very far from the road, in fact. Not necessarily. Where do your airplanes travel? They can be on the road. It just he wasn't this time. <laughs> just saying, airplanes have Whatever. the ability to be no. on the road. Yeah, but no, but yeah. Whatever. <laughs> so just is that how inspiration struck? He was just up in the air and he said, I like this. I need to write it down before I forget. I have nothing else to write on. Barf bag. Is that, that the story? No, he was asked to write it while on the plane. Oh, by whom? He was on the airplane with Sidney Pollock and Jerry Schatzberg, who was the director of the movie Honeysuckle Rose. Oh. They were looking for songs for the movie and just started asking if he had any ideas. And he was like, I don't know. What do you want the song to be about? Like something about being on the road. And Willie's like, you mean like on the road again? I can't wait to get on the road again. They're like, yeah, that's great. What's the melody? He's like, no idea and then wrote it down wrote it all out on a barf bag but here's the song yeah and that was probably pretty close to the final version he's just good at making up lyrics yeah i think this is true it sounded familiar when you said it and i can't shake the feeling that it's probably factual you're gonna be really mad did you pull a technicality on me you're gonna be really mad what'd you do i told a true fact (laughs) (laughs) i'm not really mad actually i'm pretty happy with that you know what's interesting Hank Williams also wrote his song on an airplane. Hey, good looking. So I guess if you want a really good country song, hop on an airplane and get somebody to ask you to write it. Sounds like when it's time to write some of Connor Tippin and Hoppin album, we're going on an airplane ride. Let's do it. (laughs) Spin it in the air. Bring plenty of barf bags. All right. The next up on our ramp, getting a little more ridiculous. Okay. (laughs) He had an interesting rival. Rival, you say? Yeah. Who is he rivals with? Gidget. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. He was a rival with Gidget. Yeah. Okay, that's a deep cut. For all of you who may not be aware, Gidget was like a teenage girl on a TV show in the 1960s. <laughs> okay, that's not the Gidget I'm talking about, but that's hilarious. What? <laughs> is there another Gidget? Yeah. Who? What? How? Gidget is the name. Uh, you wouldn't know them by this name, but that's their real name. You would probably know them as the Taco Bell Chihuahua. <laughs> Sorry, that's even better. <laughs> Told you we were ramping up. Willie, you're telling me Willie Nelson has a rivalry with the Taco Bell Chihuahua. Yeah. Amazing. Had. Unfortunately, Gidget has passed away. Well, that means Willie won. Oh, no. <laughs> so what happened? Is Willie not living moss enough? What's ha- Is he thinking inside the bun too much? What's the conflict here? <laughs> so you might not know this. You might. I don't know. You leave things out of your rundown that you know, apparently. So far, I don't know anything about this. <laughs> I promise. You mentioned his run-in with the IRS, multiple run-ins. Yeah. Where he had to like sell all of his stuff and do the IRS dates and everything. Well, another way he helped get some of this money was to do a Taco Bell ad. Okay. With the dog. No. Oh. The Taco Bell Chihuahua first appeared in 1997. This would have been at the early 90s when all the IRS stuff happened. Right. So why the rivalry? When does that get started? Well, Willie Nelson sees these Chihuahua commercials. Is he mad that the Chihuahua's doing better than him? And when asked in an interview, says, I'm not a big fan of that Chihuahua. I think my commercial is better. Oh, okay. A competition. Did he try and make another commercial to one-up the Chihuahua then? No. Oh, so they weren't really rivals. They just kind of advertised for the same company no 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 because while they didn't he didn't do another commercial he did do a photo shoot with gidget oh 
Yeah, and they got along, right? Is that according to Willie Nelson and Gidget's owner? Gidget did not like Willie Nelson. Oh no! They actually had a hard time doing the photo shoot because Gidget would growl at Willie Nelson anytime he got too close. That's hilarious. So I think the feeling is mutual. I think the two of them have this rivalry. They both think they're the better Taco Bell mascot. I don't know what to say. I think they're both really great Taco Bell mascots. This is a fact. Also, I, I think you've got a third fact. I think I got a third true fact. I think you're hitting me with facts today. I'm pretty convinced this is true. If you made this up, no, you didn't. There's no way. <laughs> this is this has to be real. Why Gidget the Taco Bell Chihuahua, if not this being a real fact? You ask why, and my response back is, why not? This is a spin. This is a spin? This is a spin. Oh, <laughs> I liked it though. It's another one of those ones I wish it was true. So I saw that he did the Taco Bell commercial as part of the IRS thing. And I was like, I, I want to do something with that. What would be a fun thing to do with that? And I remember the Taco Bell dog. And I was like, whatever happened to the Taco Bell dog? So I looked it up. I was like, let's just do a, a rivalry thing where like Willie Nelson thinks he's better than the Taco Bell dog. I'm sure he was. I did find out Gidget, the Taco Bell dog, did also appear in a Geico insurance commercial and was the Chihuahua in Legal blonde too red white and blonde <laughs> oh <laughs> well how about that yeah so if you watch legally blonde 2 red white and blonde you're seeing the taco bell dog i never knew and now for the final ramp what's up next he almost went to jail for murder that is a heck of a ramp yeah so he almost went to jail for murder that doesn't mean he did or almost murdered someone correct did he almost murder someone uh that's what the police thought what's the situation what did the police see or learn that make them suspect willie nelson boy all right this is gonna be a hard one for you to ask questions on it might be easier if i just fact dump you i just spew information just spew information at you and let you soak it up okay feel free to interrupt me at any time with a question all right i'm going into sponge mode so i'm gonna give you some names here all right okay you got willie nelson willie nelson main character yeah protagonist of the fact potential murderer suspect number one correct then you got sonny cross one of his road managers okay and then you have a blind woman referred to as miss mass miss mass those are our three players here that 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 are named at least. Everybody else is just the police as a blanket term. Okay, sure. So Nelson, right? A lot of money problems. Yes. Yeah. Not paying people, not paying the government like he should, right? Maybe not paying his manager like he should. No, having his manager steal money from him is kind of some karma. Oh yeah, that's true. I did know about this. Yeah. Sonny Cross embezzled four hundred thousand dollars from Willie Nelson. That's a lot. And actually, that's one of the reasons he got into trouble with the irs is because he thought everything was kosher turns out the higher-ups that were handling his money were doing some shady business yeah there's a lot of people that had their greedy little hands in the willie nelson pot sonny cross being one of them not not his pot he would never let anyone touch that but his money <laughs> yes that's funny <laughs> that was good thank you uh so you know willie nelson finds out about this one and tells cross hey you you better pay me back or when this tour we're currently on ends i'm gonna see you see you for everything you got and you're out of here sort of deal logical yeah yeah this also this at the scene they're about to go do a radio show the next day okay so suddenly cross shows up gets a message that says please use the side entrance you know come in through the side don't go in through the front oh no did he die so he goes to the side entrance yeah when all of a sudden there is a 
pair of gunshots mm. that go off. Just bang, bang. Yeah. The disc jockey who was in the in the radio hall or I whatever, yeah, comes running out. What does he find? Willie Nelson in Miss Mass in the alleyway. She's okay. screaming, "Help! Help! This this guy's somebody's been shot." And Willie Nelson's going, "Jay Cross, he's dead. What happened? <laughs> what is he dead?" The police are called. Hold on. Oh yeah, Jay Cross is dead. Jay Cross dies. There were two gunshots. The road manager is dead, and Willie Nelson is outside with Miss Mass and a gun. Yeah, I guess Jay Cross is also Sunny. Is Sunny Cross? His real name starts with a J. Okay, so Sunny Cross, Jay Cross, same person. Right. I just want to make sure they use the terms interchangeably here. You made a very specific point to name all the characters and then yeah. change their names halfway through the story. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> well, Go I'm- on. Sunny Cross dead. <laughs> Yeah, this is a conundrum. Police show up. Comes to find out, Miss Mass, she's blind. Yeah. Blind person not going to be able to shoot somebody 20 feet away, right? Well, no, I don't think she did it, unless it was an accident. But that the only other person in the alley, Willie Nelson. That we know of. That we know of. You're correct. At this point in time, I'm kind of taking you through the story. Yeah, I, yeah I'm familiar with how storytelling works. Yes. Miss Mass <laughs> says she heard Willie and Sonny arguing just before the shots. Not implausible. Basically, all the signs start to point towards Willie Nelson, right? Yeah. I mean, he's, he was in the alley. Blind woman identifies Willie Nelson's voice in a lineup. But there's one detective on the team who doesn't think things are adding up. Oh. It's like, I don't think Willie Nelson did this. An unnamed character. Yes. Yes. I, yes. Unnamed character. So, you know, he does a little more digging. He starts to suspect the blind woman, Miss Mass. Really? Yeah. Why? Because at the time, his partner had a broken arm. And when he introduced himself to the blind lady. She held out the right hand. She shook his hand as if she could tell his arm was broken. Interesting. So she's faking it, maybe. That's exactly what he starts to think. But, you know, turns out she has been blind since she was like a child. Her family got in a car accident. Her parents both died. She was left blind. Certified. Yeah, right. He doesn't give up, though. It's a pretty wild hunch to go on here. Yeah. A wild thread to start unraveling. He learns that she had a slip and fall in a grocery store here a couple months back. Hit her head, but decided not to sue the, the grocery store. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And I don't know how, but that gets him thinking. He thinks he's figured out what's happened. So what does he do? You're not this It gets wild. This is why this is the final ramp. Yeah, you're right. I couldn't have asked any questions about this. <laughs> yeah, I know. He hires a streaker. Uh, okay. What a way to go. <laughs> he gets his captain and some other police people. He goes, I'm pretty certain she's not blind. And they're like, what do you mean? And he's like, watch. And he hires a streaker to run past her while she's in the park one day. He you know, tails her to a park. Yeah. And has the streaker run past her. And as the streaker runs past her, she turns turns her head and follows him and gets a look of bewilderment on her face. Like, why is there a naked person running past me? Yeah, as anyone would. Which is then like, hello. She obviously could see that he was naked. And so that's enough for the police to be like, all right, let's bring her in, question her, have some a doctor come in and like test her eyesight, yada, yada. Turns out when she hit her head, it miraculously caused one of her frontal cortexes to reattach and she regained sight in her left eye only. Whoa. And... The person who was involved in the car crash that killed her family? None other than our road manager, Sonny freaking Cross. What a twist. <laughs> I wonder what why. I was twist. like, why would she kill him? But okay. That's a pretty solid alibi. Is that how the story ends? I mean, yeah, Willie Nelson's exonerated. Almost goes to jail for murder. As a thank you, well, he was like, is there anything I can do to like thank you? And 
the cops asked him to go to come to his wife's grave you know plot and play a song for her and so willie nelson goes to his wife's grave and performed blue eyes crying in the rain oh which is on the album we're about to talk about sure is you know what i hate about this that you just said that because everything else about this fact why else would you even tell me if it wasn't true that last little bit means it could be a spin yeah uh, okay what you say oh so you're thinking i just added that detail to make it a spin i feel like yeah why else would you go to the trouble of setting up this elaborate convoluted story if it wasn't true but then i think you'd think that i would think that and then you would add in a fake little bit to make it a spin which would be that Mm. last little bit there that wasn't related to the story i don't know if this would affect your decision or not but what if i promised that there was no tricky little one detail is a lie shenanigans going on that it's either all a bold-faced lie or all 100 true okay if you're willing to double down on that i didn't say i was willing to i just said would that make your decision easier or harder absolutely easier <laughs> and make it way easier yeah why not let's double down on it then it's a hundred percent true I think i've gone fact fact spin fact yeah and what i think you did here is i think you thought that by doubling down on it being 100 percent true or false your confidence in that would lead me to believe it was a spin because you knew i would think otherwise but it's honestly you i don't th- know think me you're not in my head i don't know anything anymore <laughs> i think this is a fact <laughs> this is a spin. Oh, all of it? <laughs> Wait, all of it? 100% a spin. I can't believe it. it was so good. Everything I just read you is the synopsis to the uh, season one, episode 11 of Monk called Mr. Monk and the Red-Headed Stranger, where Willie Nelson plays himself and that's the plot of the episode. <laughs> wow. What? I, I don't know anything about that show. It's a detective show where the main character, the main detective, he's got like every phobia in the book. That's why the detective didn't have a name. Yeah. Because he did have a name. I am mad now because also (laughs) in other circumstances, you would say he almost went to jail for murder. And then the fact would be about the TV show and it would be true. (laughs) This might have been a win-win for me. I guess we're just flipping 50-50 on season six. The curse! It followed us into the new season. I was captivated by that story. Darn, I knew the first two facts that you hit me with. Uh, yeah. Huh. Eh. I really pulled it back with the two spins. Yeah, you really did. Good, good spins. I think there were some good ones. Darn it. <laughs> it started at the bottom, now we're here. 50-50. 50-50, as always. <laughs> Alright, well, I'll see you next week for another exciting round, hopefully not 50-50, of Fact or Spin. Yeah! Yeah, hopefully not, but probably 50-50 at the end of the day. Anyway, welcome back, Connor. Yeah, it'll probably be 50-50. Thanks for having me back. You're welcome back. Even though I reminded you right before the round started that I didn't leave, and you still told me, welcome back. I say welcome, like, welcome back to the microphone, to the audience. Welcome back. We're not having this argument again. This is a whole new season. Can't, Can't keep having the same argument every season. Welcome back to the limelight. Once again, much like with Nina Simone, there's not a lot to talk about for the Willie Nelson album cover. What are you talking about? There's a lot to talk about. Well, there's an old-timey photo of Willie in a cowboy hat. 
Nice little bandana. That's Willie Nelson, redheaded stranger. It almost looks like a wanted poster. It's very reminiscent of the Wild West. Yeah, and it's got like that sepia-like filter on it or whatever. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, back in the Wild West days, they didn't call that a sepia tone filter. They just called that a picture. (laughs) Yeah, let's talk about this album. I'm excited. I've listened to it a couple times, getting ready for this episode, because it's just so easy to listen to. Before we dive in, I think it's important to remember right from the start that this is a concept album. tells one big story from top to bottom, so we'll flesh out the story as we go along, and we'll kind of get more songs and details and emotions that get added to the mix this one is really interesting because you know some concept albums we've talked about have been written specifically for their concept every song was created around a certain theme this one is a little bit of a cover compilation concept where some of these songs he wrote but some of them are covers he's woven into the larger story that he's trying to tell which i think is really cool makes this album pretty unique yeah you forgot your catchphrase last time. No, I was just waiting on you to start the transition, and then I was going to jump in with it. I was ready. Okay, now we're going to talk about track one. Let's spin it. Okay, you really were ready. You weren't kidding. Nailed it. Uh-huh. Track one is Time of the Preacher. It's a bit of the setup for the whole album. So let's set the scene. The year is 1901, way back in the outlaw days, and we get the introduction of our main character, the redheaded stranger, the preacher, Basically, screaming like a panther. Yeah, screaming in the dead of the night, which is objectively the most terrifying time to hear a panther scream, I think. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. It's probably up there top, you know, top 10. Top 10 times to hear a panther scream, dead of night. Willie Nelson will use the theme that he uses in this song time and again as this really great vehicle for the story. You know, if there's some kind of important action that happens in between songs or outside the bounds of where these other tracks go, Willie kind of uses the preacher theme like it's a narrator to keep the story moving. And that's really cool. And uh, like I said, it introduces us to the preacher. He's our main character, this rough and tough traveler who's on this journey to find himself after, as we'll get into, an unfaithful lover leaves him for another man. And that's the part where we learn that, yeah, he cried like a baby and screamed like a panther in the middle of the night. Yes. The song kind of ends by opening the door into this album and inviting us to really enter the world of the story. He says the preaching is over and the lesson's begun. And I think it's really ironic that the time of the preacher is after the preaching is over. Like he's coming into his story at a really interesting time. Yes, that is interesting. It really is. And that melody is just so iconic. It's just a really good melody. Yeah. Yeah, it's the it's the glue that holds the whole album together. Yep. And we start off his story through the first person perspective with a look back at the night before on I couldn't believe it was true. We got on the horse with the preacher as he started his journey. Now we get to see what led to that heartbreak through his own eyes, which is, you know, the night that his woman ran off. Yes. Much like the title says, you know, he comes home to find that she's left and he simply can't believe it's true. But he sprinkles in these little lines to show that he still cares for her a lot. My heartbreaking loss is another man's gain. Her happiness always, I hope, will remain. Like, we can tell that he kind of still wants the best for her for a minute as he's realizing what's gone on and she's been unfaithful. This song is really kind of oddly fast for as intense as the emotions the preacher's feeling are. It's really an upbeat and happy song. (laughs) Yeah, you'd expect it to be more of a ballad yeah but maybe i guess it's supposed to represent like the urgency he feels yes i think that's exactly what it's supposed to do he comes home he realizes she's gone he starts to panic and he doesn't even fully commit to believing it he he still holds on to hope that maybe what he thinks is happening isn't really happening and we kind of carry that on into the next song blue rock montana and redheaded stranger kind of a medley together because he takes off 
to go find her. And where does he find her? But with her new guy holed up together in Blue Rock, Montana. And even now, as he walks in on them, he's hoping it's not true. Still carrying on in that disbelief. Yep. Yeah. And he finds them together. And you know what he does? Oh boy. Cry like a panther. Well, he maybe cries, but in this moment, <laughs> he kind of feels all the rage building up inside of him. Yes, he does. He whips out his gun, and he wastes no time. You know, they're still smiling at each other, not even realizing what's about to happen by the time he pulls the trigger and kills both of them in cold blood. This is the first time in Blue Rock, Montana, and Redheaded Stranger, we hear this little motif that'll be repeated on down the line. Don't boss him. Don't cross him. He's wild in his sorrow, as in this man is hurting and he's angry and he's really really gonna lash out if you rub him the wrong way and again like just make note of that smiles on their faces line yeah i just i think this first part of the album goes by so quick so the first half of the album right is time of the preacher which is unique and then it's i couldn't believe it was true which is unique but then we're immediately back into time of the preacher's theme again then we're into the medley of the next two tracks like he takes the next two does a little medley of them and then does them individually after that so it's a, it's a lot of the same motifs and sounds and chord structures and stuff just it all bleeds together so it's very easy for it to kind of slide on by without you even realizing you're six tracks deep yeah well also part of it is that they're short the first track is two and a half minutes then there's 130 113 130 you know yep yep it's rapid fire action which i mean i really like it makes the pacing feel good i think that's good for a concept album you know you want it to go fast you want to tell the story and stories can't drag out right so you gotta be constantly you know where here's this beat here's this beat yes not only that i mean i think that's really good for the overall vibe score of just having a consistent sounding album Mm -hmm. where nothing gets boring and so your two options are kind of either do what we've done here and break up all your story beats into individual short songs or do more kind of what green day did where they're just these anthem songs that each have like five parts to them that drastically change between parts yeah in order to get the same thing across yeah and that's not really willie nelson's style and i don't think that would fit the album no no i'm not saying it would work for willie nelson i'm just saying those are your two options for how to tell a good story right and the other thing that's interesting about the pacing right now is that i mean you might think wow we've already told a complete story this guy his lover his wife the infidelity the journey across the country the murder but this is like five minutes in and this is just a prologue to what the album is really about yeah which i mean he talks about again on the next time of the preacher theme he says the story's just begun it comes way on down the line but after that first taste of redheaded stranger we get the album's biggest single and one of willie's career high hits we've already mentioned blue eyes crying in the rain it's a cover yeah but once again probably the most transcendent song from this record the original was written by fred rose in 1945 and early versions came from really notable names like roy acuff and our boy hank williams senior here's a fun fact too later on in the 70s it would be the last song elvis ever played on his piano at home the day that he died i I feel like i knew that well now you can feel like you know it with confidence why why did i know that i knew that for some reason i don't know non-concept record versions of blue eyes crying in the rain are pretty open to interpretation whether this is about a breakup or a death or some other thing but in this context willie gives the song a very fleshed out framework that it can operate in this man is just murdered his cheating wife yeah and now he's talking about meeting up yonder in the land that knows no parting i mean it's just the peak 
of the album's emotions. Like, this is the low point, rock bottom, for The Red-Headed Stranger. And, like, this tenderness that we see in Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain instantly <laughs> turns into a kind of cold bitterness in the next track, the proper full version of Red-Headed Stranger. Yep, which, again, the song in Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain is kind of what the song before with Blue Rock Montana and Red-Headed Stranger kind of bleed together. I mean, Blue Rock Montana is its own part, but The Red-Headed Stranger bleeds in. Yeah, no doubt. This is once again the title track and it's the cover that he built the entire rest of the concept around yep. he heard this song first and that's what gave rise to the entire story the stranger heads back into town finds a local bar and obviously you know he's a little irritable after killing his wife a little distraught Willie says his heart was heavy as night and he's taken his wife's little bay pony with him as he heads into town as he's passing through this new character lays eyes on the preacher. She's a woman who casts greedy eyes on his wife's horse. She wants it for herself. So she yeah. tries to get flirty with him, win him over in the saloon, but boy, he snaps the second she touches that horse. Yep. Because, you know, that's like his last tie in his life, the last memento he has to remember his wife and the love that so abruptly turned sour. And, you know, she crosses him. Don't boss him, don't cross him. Well, she crosses him and he bites back. He kills her dead in the street, but he gets away with it because you can't hang a man for killing a woman who's trying to steal your horse. Shouldn't touch that horse. No kidding. Which is a wild metaphor in the context of his murder of the man who stole his woman. Think about the parallel there. Yeah, because she was his horse and he tried to steal her. Well... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in a in a parallel <laughs> sense, yes. But once again, it's just that hardening of his heart. He goes through all the emotions in these first six tracks. And the rest of the album kind of focuses on a little bit of his, his redemption arc, which we kind of touch on in the next installment of the Time of the Preacher theme. The narrator comes back. He says, just when you think it's all over, because once again, you think the story is wrapped up at this point, but he says it's only begun. And the first side of the record ends with the 1 minute 46 second instrumental track, Just As I Am. Yeah. The first of a couple instrumentals on this album. There's several. I was su surprised actually by the amount of instrumentals. It's a significant portion of the B side of this record. Uh, is a lot of instrumentals. But Just As I Am is a cover of an 1835 hymn, which makes it also very timely for this 1901 story. Like this is a song that would have been around back then. It's included here to kind of illustrate the preacher's start of that redemptive journey. The killing, the conflict, the main action is behind us, but we're starting to get more introspective and focus on the recovery from everything that's transpired. Not to say the preacher is blameless in all of this, because he, he's pretty blameless. He's committed three murders. What do you mean? Yeah, but you can't blame him for that. Horses were stolen. <laughs> You're taking that a little too literally. Here's a point where I want to talk about the medium of actual physical records. Okay. Because you flip over the album, right? You finish this just as I am, and we take the first step on the redemptive journey, and you have to get up, walk over, and flip over the record, which starts with the track Denver. Yeah. So it kind of represents this time jump that's happened as the stranger has physically move to a new location. That's so cool. Yeah, it's awesome. It's something that's missed now when you listen to it on Spotify. Jumps right into it. Yeah, you, you don't really get that effect. <laughs> you don't have to have a break in the action or you don't have to get up and flip a record. The Spotify version should put a one minute silent track in there that says flipping of the record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just a minute of silence. Just to emulate the experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We'll do that on Connor's Hippin' and Hoppin' album. Right. Wait, maybe we should do that now. If you're interested in reliving that experience or, or kind of emulating it, pause the podcast now. <laughs> Great. 
Did you do it? Awesome. We're in Denver now. Then welcome to Denver. It's a new town. Yeah, home of the Denver. There are a lot of things that have homes in Denver. Do you know anything that's from Denver? Can you name me one single thing from Denver? I could name you plenty of things from Denver. How dare you accuse me of not knowing a single thing from Denver? Who do you think I am? You think I'm a Denver denier? You think I don't know what Denver is? Well, it sounds like you're changing the subject without naming anything from Denver. Think, you don't think I know of anything from Denver? Prove me wrong. I don't need to prove you wrong. I don't, I don't know you anything. Okay. Stop trying to steal my horse right now. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, th- that's where the Broncos are from, right? It's the Denver Broncos. Okay, you sounded really certain about that. And the and the Red Rock isn't Red Rock. It's pretty close. Yeah, it's pretty close to Denver. Good job. The amphitheater and other Denver things. Yep, you nailed it. That's it. I'm sure, Denver's got a zoo. So there's the Denver Zoo. I mean, come on. Uh, the Denver State House, the the Denver Capitol Building. You can't I just mean... <laughs> you're just naming things that everywhere has since things from denver if i had to make a list of things from De- of everything in denver those would be on that list okay well you got a point can't help that that's what i chose to i chose to choose okay <laughs> well one thing from denver at least at this point in the story is the redheaded stranger he's moved to this new town where he can kind of be his own person clean slate Way to start over. Clean slate, fresh start. Yeah, exactly. No murders, no horse thieves, just... Well... Just strangers. I mean, he still carries the emotional baggage of that with him, but the song explicitly says, it's nobody's business where you're going or where you're coming from, and you're judged by the look in your eye. So nobody cares what his past is, except for himself. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. He's like, I murdered a bunch of people, and they're like, yeah, but this is Denver. That happens, like, every week. We don't care. Yeah. Well, once again, we kind of get a familiar scene. He strolls into another local saloon, meets another local woman, but things go a little differently this time. She doesn't touch his horse. Yeah, she knows better. But in an amazing parallel of Blue Rock, Montana, they smile at each other, just like his wife and her man, and instead of dying with smiles on their faces, the stranger finds the heart to dance with her. So he's kind of starting to find love again, really and truly starting over. It's exciting. It is, and it's a heck of a 53-second song in terms of its significance to the story. It tells us so much about what's happened in the time of the record flip, you know? And then we move into another instrumental cover. Yeah, Over the Waves. Yeah, and this is a song that originally had words, which I guess it still has words, it just doesn't in this (laughs) instrumental. It was written by Juventino Rosas in 1888. It's a Spanish love song, and it's been covered by everyone from Chet Atkins to the Beach Boys. So, was I right to interpret this as like the song they were dancing to? Yeah, that's actually kind of the way I think of it, too. Nailed it! I'm so good at this. Yeah. Well, it's kind of in that waltz time, you know? Yeah, exactly. How do you think a waltz goes? Or are you just doing the song? That's the song, but it's in a waltz time. One, two, three. One, two, three. Typically, exactly, when somebody's like, oh, it's like a waltz, their example is so I was like, why was I, I was I was a little thrown off by your example. It's the song. It's actually the song. It took me a second to realize that's what you were doing. Right. No, it's in three, four time. It's that's what you need to know. But the lyrics of the song, when it does have words, they say, if within my pain, your refuge will come to disturb me. I will follow your love. The wind will take the moans of my heart and it will always repeat the accents of my song. Nailed it. Really intense. That's like Nina Simone Nemakite Pa levels of poetry. I mean, really deep stuff. 
the stranger's kind of breaking down all these calluses that he's built up on his heart. What is it with other languages just having really great lyrics? Fever, the Nina Simone one, this. Like, it's just Other languages are better at writing lyrics to songs than us, apparently. I think that so far seems <laughs> to be pretty true. But it's nice that we get to see this kind of tender side of the stranger that we really haven't seen much, except for maybe like Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain. But again, that's a rock bottom stranger. This is a stranger on the up and up. And Over the Waves moves just seamlessly into Down Yonder. Which was my favorite of the instrumentals. Yeah. Just because it was the most different. It was very upbeat. It was was a fun change. Yeah, a little honky-tonk. Yeah. A little kind of (laughs) chaotic. I don't know. I like it a lot. I don't have too, too much to say about it, except it's just a good song. It feels like that one of those songs that would play on one of those automatic pianos that just plays the song for you. Yeah, like a player piano. Yeah. And it's interesting for me. I mean, some of these songs I can listen to and understand how record execs were like, are you going to make a full song or is this just a demo? Like uh, like Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain. You know, it doesn't sound like a full song. It sounds like a demo. Down Yonder is a song. I'm like, okay, yeah, that sounds like an album track. Yep. And honestly, it's pretty impressive. It stands out for its instrumental. But then the next actual lyrical song on the record is another of the album's big covers, Can I Sleep in Your Arms? And boy, is it a long one. It is. (laughs) It's the album's longest track at 5 minutes and 20 seconds, which is like an absurd factor longer than the album's shortest song. The differential is great. This song was written by Hank Cochran in 1973. Hank and Willie were actually close friends. And like I mentioned, I think, back when we talked about how he got his start in Tootsie's Honky Tonk, Cochran played a big part in getting the ball rolling in the early days of Willie Nelson's career. So during Can I Sleep in Your Arms, the stranger is, in my mind, kind of pleading with this new woman, showing this vulnerable side, and he's outwardly admitting the loneliness that we know as the audience that he's felt inwardly for the last long time. He's kind of coming to terms with that and feeling comfortable enough and ready to express that. It's a big step. He just has such a perfect voice for these style slower songs. Yes, he does. The the way his voice kind of jumps from note to note. It's just perfect. Make this record with somebody other than Willie Nelson and I don't know if you've got a hit. Yeah, I don't think you do. That's a bold claim, but I don't think you do. Yeah. Somebody like Elvis, who just has an iconic voice, maybe could get away with something like this if done in a slightly different style. You know? Yeah. You know who could get away with it? Willie Nelson's own son, Lucas Nelson, sings just like him. Sounds a lot like Willie and has his own musical career. That's awesome. Yeah, but I like it. I just like the sincerity and the honest side to Can I Sleep in Your Arms. Yeah, and this one gets like an honorary instrumental set. It's because like half the song is just instrumental. (laughs) Yeah, it indulges a little bit. But you know what song is like tight, no wasted time whatsoever, but also really good and memorable? Remember Me When Candlelights Are Gleaming. And like a normal song length, only 250. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, this is probably one that they especially pushed for radio. It's one of my favorites from this record and one of the best performing too. It peaked at number two on the Billboard Country Charts when it was released. It's all right. It's all right. It's it's pretty good. Uh... The stranger's breaking these ties with his cheating wife, finally fully coming into his own. Although, once again, it's kind of funny to think of him as the victim through this point in the album. (laughs) He literally has murdered several people. But 
but he is finally starting to free himself from the emotional burdens of that. And he acknowledges that he'll never be the same. This experience has really remolded him into a whole new person. And all that he asks is he's just remembered for the right reasons and the good that he tried to do in spite of all the turmoil that surrounded him. So what happened to this song to me is the same thing that happened to a lot of other songs on this album. They were in my top three and then another song would come along and, you know, I had my top, I had two in the top three that just never, never getting knocked out. But that third spot in the Conorable Mention, they just kept stepping down. I'd find something else to put up in spot three, which would kick it down to Conorable Mention. And then another one would come up and that would kick it off the lit. Like, it was just this rotating list for the final couple spots on my top three list yeah so this one got edged out this one got the boot yeah interesting surprising because i don't think i'd boot it for anything that's coming after it me and spotify would disagree with you well you could disagree all you want but i disagree with you too i disagree back well i guess all i can do is put my hands on the wheel one of my favorite lines on the album is and i it's a little bit certified poetry but it's also not super poetic i just like the sentiment behind it he says a brighter face may take my place when we're apart Another love with a heart more bold and free. But in the end, fair-weather friends may break your heart, dear. And if they do, remember me. And that kind of shows... I think that's a full-circle moment for the stranger. Because when the first brighter face takes his place and he gets cheated on, he gets really cold and bitter and, I mean, murderous. He hadn't moved on yet. Yeah, and now he has moved on. And he says, remember all the good things about the times that we had. Even though more good times are ahead of you, remember me in a fond way. I just like it. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, the, I guess the upbeat instrumentals don't work as well with his soulful singing as the more melancholy sound is. But again, that's maybe just because that's what he's known for, biasing me. And that's why something beat it out. Fair. Is the thing that beat it out hands on the wheel? Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah. It's such a good song. It is. Hands on the wheel is a revisiting of Over the Waves, but this time he's like truly come all the way. He's got his hands on the wheel of something that's real. And he's finally getting his life back under control with his new woman and a family by his side, which is something that he's always lacked, at least since we've known him. Yeah, and this time it has lyrics. It does. <laughs> lyrics, great lyrics, too. Like, with no place to hide, I looked in your eyes and I found myself in you. Really good lyrics. Oh, and just the, the, the vocal runs, like the chorus, I looked in the stars, tried all of the bars, or whatever he does, you know, where he goes all crazy. Yeah. Oh, it's it's an awesome, awesome, awesome song. And I'm just now putting together that, you know, it's based off of Over the Waves and this is Hands on the Wheel. So is he on a boat? Yeah, yeah. Boat wheel? It could be steering <laughs> a ship into the sunset off. Exactly. Into the distance to a new future and the promise of being in a new situation. Yeah. I think he's steering this ship to Spain. Yeah, <laughs> it's possible. I think standalone Hands on the Wheel loses a little bit of its wonder, but I really love it in the context of the concept. Really? I don't know. I think it's just a very pretty song all by itself. Well, it is. And the album closes with Bandera. Which is Spanish for flag, so that's why I think he was sailing the boat to Spain. Yeah, and I love the implications. <laughs> you know, it's an instrumental once again. Because again, Spanish for flag, it's like the flag on the boat. Yeah, this is this is what it is. Well, there's a lot of different options, and that's what I like about it. As an instrumental, we can't say for certain, but I, I mean, take your pick. It could be a flag, like planting a flag, claiming this new life for himself after the long, hard journey to get there. He could be waving a flag of surrender, letting his walls down, letting himself be known and loved by his new family. It could be like a flag at half-mast, mourning all the things he left behind. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm all for it. Yeah, either way, you know, it's up to you. Whether it's at half-mast, being lowered, raised, planted in the ground, it is the flag of a ship. It's time for Final Spin. We need a, a time of the final spin theme. 
throughout the episode like Willie Nelson uses time of the preacher. Exactly. Yeah. Hit us with your thoughts. All right, I'll hit you. Bam. Yeah. That hurt. Music. I like this album a lot for its music. I know a lot of these are covers. This album does barely squeak out a bonus point. It's a squeaker. But the music on this album is awesome. I think it's so consistent, track to track. Everything flows into the next really nicely. And it contributes to the overall telling of this story. With the exception of I Couldn't Believe It Was True, which we said is weirdly fast and upbeat when it feels like it shouldn't be, unless it's maybe the panic. Either way, I think the music is pretty spot on for this. I'm giving it a 90. Nice. It's catchy, it's memorable, and it's pure like outlaw country that sounds like it could be from 1901 lyrics a lot of the songs are missing lyrics but i love the way that he's crafted this concept and done it with cover songs it's not an easy thing to do if any of you have ever tried it i mean it's tough and he executes it pretty perfectly you don't know what i haven't tried that's true i don't i think the songs where he does tell the story he does it pretty efficiently In the songs where he doesn't tell the story and he just leaves us with little implications and little sneak peeks like breadcrumbs at what he wants us to know about The Stranger, I think that's really effective. Given lyrics in 89, instruments and production, I mean, I kind of agree. The record sounds a little rough around the edges, but also it's meant to, and I think that helps it. I didn't think it sounded rough. It was great. It's great. It is. It's absolutely great. It just sounds different than a lot of contemporary country music at the time, which to its credit worked out for it. This album has gone down as a legendary one. His instrumentation is pretty phenomenal. To just pull himself up and make a really cheap album, uh, to have the piano playing and the guitar be as captivating as it is, is is certainly an achievement. So I'm giving it an 86. And overall vibe, I mean, that's kind of what we've been talking about this entire album. I'm giving it a 93. It's excellent. Like I said, he just barely squeaks out that bonus point. And that gives the album a total score of 90.9. 90.9? Does that get it into the top 100? Close. That puts it at number 68. Oh. Not really that close. It's in the top 100 by a bit. Nope. Okay. But like anything that like it's around that 89, 90 threshold where everything in your top 100 like kicks in. Like where's number 100 at in terms of a score? It's like at around an 88 or an 89 if I remember right. 89.4 right now is 100. 89.4. So yeah, me asking if a 90 was close is I think reasonable. It is. <laughs> I like this album a lot. And I think we might have to do a playlist pick by committee between the two of us Ooh, wow let me hit you with my top three then we'll dig into it yeah i'm just not willing to commit to one myself my top three in album order time of the preacher uh, which one fair enough uh well, how shocked would you be if i said number seven <laughs> track seven <laughs> track seven the 26 second time of the preacher yeah because that because i said they were in album order that would have been shocking uh yeah you would have skipped some massive hits yeah but no the starting track right the top of the album the intro the opening of yeah. the door into the concept album the next one blue eyes crying in the rain nice my honorable mention goes to down yonder oh okay that's a pick mainly just because there were so many instrumentals i needed to put one on there oh of course so it got the honorable mention as my favorite instrumental i'll allow it up next remember me when the candle lights are gleaming yeah it made its way in you you picked an extra i it means i picked an extra because rounding out a number five on connor's top three hands on the wheel solid absolutely solid picks what's your like number one pick for the playlist it's kind of hands on the wheel really not blue eyes crying in the rain it's pretty 
pretty good too. But it's just something about the way he sings and like the 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 scales of the vocal uh, notes on Hands on the Wheel just really spoke to me when I listened to it. I really liked it. My ears were smiling, smiling big. Okay, that's you know that's fair. Hands on the Wheel. I don't mean to like knock it. I think I sounded a little harsher than I meant to when I was responding to your thoughts on it. Yeah, you sounded pretty harsh. You were like, "Ugh, how could you?" <laughs> well, I just really like Remember Me, and so in comparison to that, Hands on the Wheel, I was like, "Oh," but I like it for a way different reason. And for its intended purpose, Hands on the Wheel is about as good as it can get. And uh, I will say my second choice, if I was picking both, would have been Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain. So it's a close second. But I doubt you want both of those two. So what are you thinking for the other one? No, I'm thinking it. I have to take it. It has to be there. Plus, Hands on the Wheel has the harmonica that kicks in. Yeah. That we didn't even talk about back on that track. No, it's true. I meant to, but I forgot. When he's like, all of the bars and the harmonica like kicks in. It's so good. God, I love a harmonica. Are you really surprised? That surprise I picked, picked that I love the harmonica. You can never have too much, according to you. Never too much. Every song should have a harmonica. I think that may be too much. I stand by it. So Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain and Hands on the Wheel? Is that what we decided? Yeah, I think that's fine with me. Fine with me. As for my score... This one, I'm curious. Really curious about. Yeah, what are you thinking? Well, I, list. I just... Every score you give now, for me, is going to be based around the fact that you gave Dr. Demento a 9. And so, yeah. I really don't think this <laughs> deserves to be below that. This one is getting 9. Oh, a sigh of relief. <laughs> Famous baby thought experiments out of 10, which is honestly my favorite because it's, that's out of all the things I want you to do, I want you to make those baby those, those baby photos for me. Yeah, um, that was definitely unique to this episode. <laughs> I think it's nine famous baby thought experiments, which we were close to having. We had at least three or four of them. Yeah, all because Nina Simone and Willie Nelson existed <laughs> as babies at the same time. But yeah, so a nine from me. Awesome. And a 90 from you. So we're right in kind of the same ballpark. Where in your nines is it going? As for where on the nines is it going i'm gonna have to think on it it's gonna go somewhere around johnny cash okay lock it up in Folsom prison (laughs) i think that makes sense there are actually i mean a lot of similarities between cash and willie nelson on this album in particular on the two albums we covered in particular actually one being a live album and one resembling a demo well happy 2023 everyone yeah if you want some more spinet content you can find us on socials everywhere but not everywhere only at Spin It Pod on Twitter, Spin It Pod Official on Instagram, and we're also on Facebook and TikTok and other places, but usually it's Spin It Podcast or Spin It Pod or Spin It Pod Official. You can find us on our website, www.spinitpod.com, and you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, including right here. Well, we'll see you next week where Connor has to sacrifice one of his top four. I do. I always hate when I have to do that. Yeah, well, you probably won't hate it next week. I already can predict some thoughts you're going to have about our next episode. (laughs) That's exciting. Yeah, and we will see how right I am in seven short days. Stay tuned. And until then, keep spinning. Keep spinning. You know what's interesting about this episode and the song I couldn't believe it was true? What? How often I believed it was true during Factor Spin. I said it was true all four times. You really did. I believed it was true way too much. It was only 50-50. I was only right twice. I shouldn't have believed it was true. You want to go fight the Taco Bell Chihuahua? Oh, ooh. We need to find a famous fast food mascot to be an arch enemy. Grimace! Grimace! It's Grimace! We hate him! 